0: Hey, welcome to Happy Tears! I'm Brandon, and I'm Nick, and
1: this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love, so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, we're talking about two movies, one of which is up for a bunch of Oscars, and another, which was Slums. Tragically snubbed. Of course, I'm talking about Noah Baumbach's Marriage Story and the Safty brothers' tragically snubbed at the Oscars' Uncut Gems. It's movie day here on the podcast, and this is Happy Tears.
0: So we like to start off the podcast with a couple recommendations from the week. You want to start with your recommendations? Sure. Uh,
1: The first of which... Uh, made me very happy. So my birthday, my 30th birthday was about a month ago, coming up on a month ago. Mm-hmm. And my dear friend, Brandon, who's sitting across from me, bought me this little book by Hanif Adaraqib. It's called They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us. And it is a collection of essays that are uh, just general. They're, they mostly revolve around music. Um, but Hanif Adaraqib is a music and pop culture critic as well as a poet. And he essentially... I think, I, th- uh, I think the book came out in 2017 or 18. Do you know? I think it's 2018. Yeah, 18. And uh, it's just a collection of essays about his life and the music that he loves. And a lot of them center around his experience as a black Muslim from Ohio growing up and dealing with a lot of the social issues of today and certain things like the Black Lives Matter movement and Fallout Boy and Suicide and Nina Simone and all these just collection of really, really thoughtful music commentary as well as social commentary. I read it in like two weeks, which is really fast for me for like a 300-page book. And thanks for getting me that gift, my friend. Of course, man. I had thought some.
0: you'd love it. It's a, um same author as Go Ahead in the Rain, book I've talked about many times on here. The uh, Tribe Called Quest book, and I really love his writing, so I'm excited to read it as well. I do think it came out the end of 2017. Um, I saw it on a lot of 2018 lists, though, so I don't don't know if it was re-released or something in 2018. It was really cool
1: to put on the music of the person that he's talking about and read something that usually it's about the music itself, but also about where the country was at the time or where he was at the time. Some of them are about... Personal friends of his that he lost, or when his mother died. So it was, you know, I feel like I learned a lot about music as well as just um, America and being a person. So it was really great. And I highly recommend it. Nice. And then I've been listening to the uh, posthumous uh, Mac Miller album yep. called Circles. Um, I'll throw one of the songs. I like a lot of the songs on it. I think it's really good. I think it's a nice pairing with Swimming, his album that came out a couple months before his death. And I'll throw one of the songs, either Good News, which is the single, or maybe Circles, which is the title track. Or I like a lot of them. So I'll throw one on the Happy Tears Mixtape playlist. What about you, my friend?
0: Cool. So I have uh, two. Uh, one is the new album On Guard by Ethan Gruska. Uh, he was one half of Bel. Brigade the the band Bell Brigade and I talked about him on here before and I love the singles he released leading up to this album um I just think it's immaculately produced it's just fun to listen to uh, all the little like flourishes he he adds and uh he's just super talented he's also a great songwriter with a lot of kind of pop sensibilities but loves to kind of experiment as well so uh just fun listen that I think you can kind of dive in and get more out of every listen awesome so i'm liking that and then there's a, a new song from a swedish band called little dragon super talented band they put out a song called hold on is the their newest release and they announced an album coming out in march on the 27th as well just a funky groovy song so been listening to that a lot so i'll toss something from on guard on and then hold on from little dragon
1: Cool. So, um, as far as the news goes, the only big thing that I will bring to the table is that just this last Sunday—well, I guess as this podcast comes out, it'll be a week later—but the Grammys happened. <laughs> Notable things to say about the Grammys: uh, Billie Eilish won the night. Really, took she won the Big Four, as they they say, which I didn't know the Big Four was the Big Four until they said Billie Eilish won the Big Four. <laughs> yeah, but that would be Record of the Year, Album of the Year. Song of the Year, and Best New Artist. Uh, She's the first woman ever to do that, and only, I think, the second person, the last person that did that was Christopher Cross in 1981. Uh, She won five Grammys total. Uh, Lizzo and Gary Clark Jr., I think, were in second place in the total number of Grammys, both at three. And uh, other people won things.
0: Cool. Yeah, yeah. I I guess overall my thoughts were... I guess it's cool for Billy. Like I like, I think her album's good. I kind of wish she's so young and you know that she has a lot more music to make. So it would have been cool for some of these other, uh, maybe more seasoned artists to win a, a couple more. Um, I would have liked to see Ariana win and something. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. In one of those, I think, I think she put out some, some great pop songs on that album. Um, and then her is super talented and, um, I'm not sure she won anything. Um, uh, but I would have loved to see her win something as well. It was cool seeing, so Anderson Paak, uh won a couple Grammys. That Andy. was cool. I love Andy. Uh, me too. I would have loved to see Brittany Howard take home either Best Rock Song or Best Rock Performance. Gary won both of those. But she was nominated in both of those. They they definitely love Gary. He performs like all the time. That's true. General thoughts on the evening? Here's the thing about, and you and I talked about this
1: off mic, was like the Oscars try to pack as many awards as possible into a three hour window, right? right. And then the Grammys are the total opposite in that they save, they, they give out like five awards on camera. Yeah. <laughs> the rest are all off camera. And the big, like three of them are in the last like five minutes of the night. And so it's all music performances and I get it. They're trying to make it music's biggest night, Yeah, which whatever, <laughs> but you just don't need that many performances. I don't need Aerosmith and Run DMC yeah. as much as I like respect what those artists have done in the past. It's just like, what what made that relevant? Did, right. Was it, was it a 20, 30, oh, like a 40 year anniversary of their collaboration or something? Or I don't know. Like... They
0: always, they always try to put some crazy combos together and I wish they would focus more on some, like I would have loved to see a PJ Moore in performance or a, another, like just more people who are actually nominated in some of these big categories maybe. Right. Um. But yeah, it was, I thought it was pretty good. It was cool seeing uh, Tyler, the creator had a pretty wild performance. I yes. thought the set that he had was pretty incredible. It was they, super cool. They did cool. a really good job with that. And the set, the, the idea of the uh, kind of spinning room situation for Lil Nas X was oh so that was cool.
1: cool. He had K-pop. Yeah, w- what is the name of that band? Uh, BTS. BTS, yeah. They were in it. I, I just think that um, if the two ends of the spectrum are Oscars and Grammys, yeah. there's got to be some middle ground for both of them, really. I mean, I like the Oscars fine, but it's it's just a lot. Yeah. But it's just like the Grammys could cut half of their performances and bring back some of the more maybe interesting awards. I would love to see Anderson Paak get an award live. Yeah, you know, or you know, some of some of these people, I think, deserve a little bit of spotlight, especially when. And I know you don't control it every year, but when Billie Eilish wins almost every award that you're handing out in person on camera, yeah, that makes it a little yeah homogenous.
0: Same, or even like the um the like the best alternative album, yeah, a performance from one of those you know, one of those artists or something too would be, would be cool instead of bringing back these older, I, I, it's weird. Cause it's like, they want to, they're trying to keep their, I would think the excuse to not do that is just to play like these big name artists. Cause that's what, you know, pulls in the viewers. Right. But then some of the, some of the artists that play are so relevant that it's like, why do viewers care about them? Yeah.
1: So. I don't know. At the end of the day, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about this when we do our Oscars thing next week, uh, or I guess, I guess it's coming out this week, but, uh, all of these award shows really, it's weird because they kind of mean nothing. Yeah. And in some ways they can mean a lot to individuals or your next project. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it's political and a lot of it's, so it's like you always have to put that grain of salt on any one of these award shows. Yeah. But overall it was mostly enjoyable. I just, I don't want to spend four hours watching the <laughs> Grammys. I don't need to cut yeah. an hour out of so, it. So long. Well, I did have some happy tears in the last week. Can I tell you about them? Absolutely. Absolutely. I went and saw a movie called Little Women, yep. Greta Gerwig's second film, her sophomore effort, as one might say, and I really liked it. I'm not sure if I even understand why. I found it very charming, and I don't really have any connection to um, the source material of Little Women, and I didn't see the previous film adaptation. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure if it's like The the source material is really charming, or Greta Gerwig's just a really good writer and filmmaker, but I really liked it. And I don't have any very specific parts that I remember. Like, I didn't take notes um, on Happy Tears, but I enjoyed it a lot, and I did cry a lot. So that happened.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, mine come from—there's a tragedy that recently happened. Uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna, uh, and seven other passengers died in a helicopter crash— in Calabasas, and it was really tough and just kind of reflecting on Kobe's life. Two of the, the things that I came to my mind first were, was one that I was, Gina and I go see the Oscar nominated animated shorts every year, and is, um, the one that he narrated about him as uh, you know this kid that has a dream of being an NBA star um, was one of those, and it ended up winning the award in that category. But I remember watching it and it's just a, I don't know, it's a lovely little short film about um, dreams and it never felt um, like it was, you know, like occasionally commercials feel like they're kind of the same and pulling out your emotions in similar ways, but it just felt like it was, this one was, was really well done. And I remember having happy tears for that. Yeah. And then um, his last game, it was just one of the more kind of incredible performances of an athlete um at the end of their career and kind of just was a perfect representation of his work ethic and character when he scored 60 points and looked like he was gonna pass out there for a while it's just kind of pushed his body to the limit and it was you know really beautiful thing to watch so uh he'll be remembered for a lot more than those but oh yeah came came to mind first
1: yeah I cried a lot uh that day yeah and uh, it didn't help that the Grammys were on. And I, I cry at award shows kind of <laughs> just in general. When I just think about the idea of a bunch of people's dreams coming true and, right. you know, like, especially the younger people and whatever. But because it was the same day of Kobe and and uh, it was in the Staples Center and, and all that. So, yeah, that's that was, it was a tough watch. That was crazy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I, and we'll talk about Kobe a little bit, and when we talk about uncut gems, yeah. Um, but I don't remember not knowing Kobe, you right, know, right like, there. yeah.
0: And so, like that's of course. that's it's yeah, it's it's such a terrible tragedy, and uh, seeing some of the it was nice seeing some of the the tributes and stuff too, and and people that we normally see as kind of goofballs on screen, like Jimmy Fallon, um, gave really heartfelt tributes, yeah, and that was great most of those like even like Shaq as well just waterworks and all those that was tough
1: well r.i.p kobe bryant yeah
0: we'll we'll bring bring him back up a little bit later but yeah anyway (laughs) on to
1: marriage story what i love about nicole she is a mother who plays really plays
0: What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night.
1: She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone.
0: He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far.
1: I know. It's not easy for her to close a
0: cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. He's very competitive.
1: So Marriage Story is about a stage director and an actress who struggle through a grueling coast-to-coast divorce that pushes them to their personal extremes, as according to the letterboxed description. Uh, It's a film directed by Noah Baumbach, and starring Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson, uh, with supporting roles played by Alan Alda, Laura Dern, Ray Liotta, just to name a few. And the common thing I've heard about this film is it might as well just be called Divorce Story, (laughs) because... It's less about marriage and, you know, very clearly about divorce.
0: Right. Although I kind of disagree, but I. Oh, tell me why. Well, I mean, I don't think the whole, like, there are clearly divorce elements, but I still feel like there's plenty of marriage elements. And at least looking back, seeing like why, why these two had happy times in their, in their marriage, I guess. Right. That's, I think that comes across on screen, but obviously there's a lot of it that's about the ugliness of divorce as well. So
1: Sure. I really love this movie, but before we talk about it, have you? are you a big Noah Baumbach fan? Have you seen a lot of his movies? Do you I, there, seek I, out his movies?
0: I mean, I'm not like, oh, a new one come out, uh, just came out. I'm excited to see it. But I generally enjoy the ones I've, I've yeah. watched. Um, especially, I think there's some pretty great writing throughout. But I will say, I think this is my favorite one of them.
1: Oh, for sure. For me. I love this movie. I have seen it four times now.
0: (laughs) That is awesome.
1: So the movie starts, and I think of just a really wonderful way. We fade up from black on Scarlett Johansson's face, and voiceover starts, and it's Adam Driver's voice, and he says what I love about Nicole. And it starts this montage of him just talking about everything he loves about his wife. And it's pretty long. I mean, it's, and, it, and it's also a nice exposition way to kind of tell you about who these people are, who right. she is, who he is and their life situation. And then after, you know, five, six, seven, I don't know how long that montage is. It goes into what I love about Charlie and it's Nicole's voice and gives you all the backstory about where he comes from and, and her perspective on him and their marriage. And, uh, I thought this was a great way to open a movie.
0: Yeah, I was already getting some some misty eyes there at the beginning. Yeah. Because, I, yeah, I think it's a beautiful setup from the get-go and is necessary for what follows, but also it kind of pulls the rug out from you once you realize what they're doing, which I think is just a really cool trick almost. So it's like, because I, I wish I didn't know that this was mostly about divorce before I watched it right. because I would have assumed, you know, it would have hit me harder once... Once they reveal, you know, they're in this. What would you call it, like a counseling session? A uh, divorce, they're like at a mediator,
1: right? And he's trying to mediate. I guess mediate their divorce. Yeah, their their separation. And um, it seems like they're at the beginning phases of of kind of making anything official or or anything like that. Right.
0: And they're trying to bring the positives to the table to to begin with.
1: Right. And yeah. And so you we we get these these monologues, this montage, and it kind of hard cuts to them in this room with the mediator and and Scarlett Johansson's refusing to read the letter that we actually just heard. It's a beautiful way for, I think, us to f- kind of fall in love with these characters and uh, in some ways kind of fall in love with them as a couple, right? Like, we, right. we get to see all of the nice moments, right? And, and some of the more, maybe... The less agreeable sides of them, but yeah. but it's usually painted in a, it. It's it's what I like about this person, or what I love about this person. Right? It's it's really nice. And then we are immediately thrown into them not in that mindset yeah. at all. And that's kind of it. Really, you know, rides yeah. that kind of all the way to the end. Although there, you know, there's ebbs and flows in the way the narrative is told. But uh, um, yeah, it's it's a tough relationship to follow just because you're, you've got a lot of hope for them the whole way through, I think.
0: Yeah. And uh, one thing I've heard people say is that from the beginning, since Nicole is the one that seems like the one that she messes up this or sends this divorce in a a bad direction Mm. uh, from the get go, because she's doesn't want to participate in this exercise that they're doing at the beginning, people tend to start off on kind of in Charlie's camp. Yeah. But then more is revealed about Charlie and what he's been like for the last uh, 10 years and how he's kind of controlled their marriage and Nicole's dreams kind of got squandered in the process. Right. So I think it is fair to both both characters, but I think initially what, what you kind of tend to do is go a little more towards Charlie and just because Adam Driver is such a kind of magnetic person on screen and that kind of stuff. But I think if you look at it from more of a broad view, I think it is... balance take
1: for sure i i think you're totally right i think we we probably spend a little more time with adam driver and what he's going through it is a balanced take but i think what balances it because we are physically with charlie more i think the people that maybe say they're in the charlie camp what i would say is that a lot of nicole's pain happens off screen right it happens before we really see anything so just to take that into account right is
0: is for sure is
1: why is why it's i'm e- agreeing it's with you explained, that it's explained but it's yeah. not
0: shown much right i mean her previous pain like we, we do see like i think one of the the best uh scenes in the film is this kind of long uh talk that that um nicole gives to her divorce lawyer played by uh laura dern oh yeah it's a long scene and she's got She's got a lot of words to say, and it's—I uh, think she navigates that scene really well and super kind of engaging. And you feel um, her working through this stuff. You can you see it on her face. You know. Um, speaking of Laura
1: Dern, she's great in this movie. Oh yeah,
0: all the really all of the the lawyers characters are, are fantastic. I all, think
1: right. Yeah, the lawyers are all great. The family members are all great. Uh, Nicole Scarlett Johansson's family. The the scene where Charlie gets served the oh, divorce papers
0: is hilarious. Uh, like, the situation is hilarious. I think that the actor who's playing uh, her sister... Merritt Weaver. ...does a fantastic job. She's great. And then they're a little back and forth with their accents and stuff. and Great scene. But yeah, so th- going from there, things just get uglier and uglier. And uh, once the lawyers get involved and kind of more antagonistic, Charlie and Nicole lose their, their voices. So I think a lot of the film is about how ugly this process can be once the lawyers and money and how like kind of vicious it becomes when they don't initially want it to be like that at all. And and it becomes a little bit out of their control. And then, I don't know, it was really sad seeing all of these things that were like really simple and kind of like nice interactions between them become weaponized uh, later on in the movie, which I thought was fantastic writing and and very true to what the situation could be like. But I, I just thought from something that she admits to him and, uh, and like a really intimate, uh, kind of scene early on gets used, uh, used against her later and not, and it's not really Charlie's intention either. So it's just like, yeah, super sad. It seems like
1: it's coming from a place of truth, you know, in terms of probably true to how real life divorces can get really nasty without intention. Right. Yeah. Or like, you know, one, one little dig could, could escalate oh, right yeah, into into something huge, and and uh, it, yeah, it's such a bummer because it really does. The way they open the movie with that, with them telling what they love about each other, I think starts you off in a hopeful place
0: to where it's like, ah, oh, they can work it out, right? Right. Look at right.
1: how in love they were, and they were right.
0: Yeah, yeah. The other ones Well, and there's and, a lot of history that I'm uh, there. You know, you learn that they did a lot of what Charlie wanted to do, right. and then you also learn that I mean, just communication could have been better over over the years and obviously charlie could have made more compromises and but but yeah some of the some of my favorite scenes are the ones where they there still seem you could still see why they were married right um in the first place and yeah and i also one thing i love is like there are plenty of moments of humor in this this and, movie's hilarious yeah uh like laugh out loud funny and um you know that's attributed how, how great the writing is and the acting because i think there's several really funny lawyer scenes, and both of those lawyers are played so well by Ray Liotta and Laura Dern. So.
1: And Alan Alda is, yeah. is so hilarious, too. Even just like the very first scene, so after the montages of, of Why I Love Nicole and Why I Love Charlie, you know, we go into that, that scene where they're with the mediator, and it's it's not loving it's it's a little hostile and and Nicole's just not happy both Adam Driver and the mediator are like come on let's work it out like I think she feels a little ganged up on so she just says you know what I'm out of here you guys can just stay and suck each other's dicks (laughs) and the way she hits dicks makes me laugh so suck each other's dicks (laughs) and I don't know if I thought it was funny the first time but really the second third and definitely the fourth time I watched it every time she hits dicks so hard it (laughs) kills me and then yeah like the the you are served
0: oh jesus sorry you're served what did you do nothing i don't know i can't lie you're being served you guys are getting into i don't know i'm sorry and the whole pie being in the, <laughs> in the mix. And, oh, man, that's so good. When the cut happens, for those of you seeing it, you know what we're talking about. The way that Adam Driver tries to uh, make it seem like everything's okay in that scene as well and then just keeps fumbling and keep, that scene keeps getting worse.
1: The the do the knife thing yeah.
0: scene? Oh, my God. Uh, it's, like, so painful. But um, <sighs> I guess we can talk about some of the technical things we liked about it as well. But, like, one thing I noticed is there's, a lot of close-up framing on both the two main characters and not much on anyone else. So you get a real sense of this intimate thing between them two that other people try to keep getting involved in from a distance. And I, I thought that was, yeah, yeah, just an effective way to, to film it too. And yeah, let me hear, I want to hear your thoughts on the score.
1: More and more, really the the first few notes, it's like a reed instrument. Maybe it's an oboe comes in and da, 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 like the like right as what I love about Nicole and you hear hear that kind of it's it's kind of bouncy and kind of uh a little whimsical like dreamy and dreamy yeah it's like it's interesting because it kind in, in some ways it kind of contrasts with the like harsh reality of of yeah a lot of the scenes and and a lot of the score is used more in a transitionary way for sure um it's and i don't know it just it, something about it it's f- it feels very unique to this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, like I, I'm, I'm sure you could put this score in another film and it works fine, but um, it just it just feels weirdly like home. I don't know what that means.
0: What do you yeah, think? No, I don't know. I I like. I do agree with the beginning. I think it fits well. Um, I think there's some parts in the middle of it that it pulled me out of the emotion of the scene a little bit, and I think it's because of how light and. Uh, I mean it is a random Newman score, so it's like very reminiscent of Toy Story and It is yeah. And sure. so like in that kind of sound. Um so I think maybe seventy five percent of it worked and then I think there's like a twenty five that maybe pulled me out a little bit, but just that I didn't feel like it fit tonally. But or at least maybe like overly it's not too sentimental but too it not necessarily over the top, but there's some sort of mismatch. In, yeah I don't
1: know well and and the the parts that I love the most are the beginning and the ending both musically and and within the narrative I think and so I'd have to go back and and look at the kind of the midsection like you said for sure it it makes sense that that maybe that's where it's not the strongest or not the most um poignant
0: yeah I mean go to maybe some of your favorite things favorite scenes
1: yeah I mean maybe we do go into happy tears and if I have a some maybe non-happy tear highlights, I'll pepper them in throughout. Yeah. Really right from the beginning, it's after the first play, or first time we see uh, Scarlett Johansson act in Charlie's play. Yeah. They come home, they kind of have an exchange where even though she's moving to L.A., he still wants to give her notes on her performance, even though she won't be part of the the play moving forward. And she allows him to, to give him notes and then leaves the room to go to bed and says so sweetly, Good night, Charlie. And then the the moment she gets out of his view breaks down and cry like silently sobs to herself as she as she goes to bed. And it's like just the 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 immediacy of the second she's out of the room. It was like a breaking of the dam, you know. Yeah. What's
0: what's crazy about that scene too is one of his notes was that she wasn't able to. Her emotions seemed forced at the end of her performance. She's like, you know, I can't, you know, I can't cry on demand, sort of thing. Like. Right. When I'm not feeling that. And then right <laughs> after she says that she turns the corner and, obvi- and her real emotions come through in that moment, uh, which is probably, you know, I don't know if that whatever she was feeling was why she couldn't, uh, you might've been distracted in her performance earlier in the day or whatever it right. is, but. I don't know. I thought it was a really, really interesting way to do that. I
1: guess. Yeah. And so, I mean, right. For, I mean, and that's a very early scene and it caught me off guard. And yeah, and, but I really empathized with Nicole in that moment. So, so that was my first happy tear.
0: I guess on another technical note, um, I did watch some, just like breakdown of a scene with him and it's right before they have like this big blowout argument that ended up getting kind of like memed quite a bit, but yeah. But what happens right before is they're arguing and he's in the kitchen. This is his new apartment that he has. And she's in the living room and there's like a wall that acts as a barrier between them. So they're talking to each other. They're separated by the wall, talking to each other, but we can see both sides Yeah, and uh, see her kind of thinking through what she's trying to say and kind of lobbing it to him and, him, you know, spiking it back or whatever. And I thought it was just an interesting uh, technical thing for framing it that way.
1: Right, as um, like a tennis match or volleyball yeah. or something like sportsy.
0: Right, <laughs> and uh, them having that kind of thing that separates them and they're unable to see each other, but we could see them both. Thought that was really interesting. And then just seeing them when we talk about the no, uh, their voices get taken away. Like the court scene, I think super powerful because you get you kind of get their reactions not only to e- to each other and just these like little glances are like really you brought that into the It's like so oh, much yeah subcontext from the two lawyers are the only ones that are actually talking.
1: With the really tight cinematography on that. Sometimes it'll just be their eyes or something. Yeah. yeah I, I really appreciated the craft of that scene. The court, for sure. yeah. And the writing. The writing was really great. Yeah. Well, and you you brought up the fight, which is right after that court scene and includes that kind of volleyball, that that uh, separation. And uh, that's the, my next Happy Tears was the way that they... Because she comes to his apartment after they've had this day in, day in court, that yeah. was not neither of one one of them enjoyed. Right, and uh, she kind of says, "Hey, look, can we try to work this out between us?" And he's a little snotty about it, but he's he's like, "Yeah, all right, let's do it." Yeah. And and so they try to have a conversation, kind of just explaining their side to each other, right. I guess, right? And uh, I, it's really the first time they've done that, at least on screen, and uh, it just slowly builds. And builds and gets a little more intense, hurtful, a little and more hurtful, exactly. And until it's a full-on nasty glo- gloves that, yeah. are off, you know, fight. Yeah, and uh, it's powerful, man. And and Noah Bombach talked about how they, I guess, in his movies, he doesn't really allow improvisation of the of words. He the the script is the script, and they they plan this out very meticulously like you know turn on this line because i'm gonna cut to this camera here and then we're gonna go here and they start with a lot of wides and they slowly go medium and then go tight and uh so like at the most tense and and loud moments we're really close Mm -hmm. and uh i I thought the the craft of the scene was really great and i thought the the uh the acting was incredible and and by the end of it it's i especially Both of their performances are great, but the way Adam Driver kind of breaks down at the end, it just, it tore me apart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's such a crazy, crazy performance. And he goes, his intensity level gets crazy high and not out of nowhere, but, but he jumps from like a, an eight to a 12 or something. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and it kind of, you know, surprises you and, and it's chilling. And then immediately after the release, immediately just like he used up everything and now he's wants to take back what it, what he said because i don't know it's just a um it's a really great scene but very very powerful and sad and <sighs> and uh, a tough one
1: yeah for sure <laughs> um what about you happy tears moments
0: yeah the, the the remaining two are more of charlie's character one is just this kind of karaoke scene uh he has at this bar when he sings being alive i think is it the-
1: Yeah, it's a Stephen Sondheim tune, is that right?
0: It is, yeah. Somebody hold me too close Somebody
1: hurt me too deep Somebody sit in my chair And ruin my sleep And make me aware Of being alive Being alive Somebody need me too much
0: but he's so great and the song kind of you know relates to his mind state it's also just a a really well-written song and the way he performs that and does all these kind of like side voices and stuff and then comes back (laughs) yeah uh, i just thought it was just incredible acting and then he has this like he like breathes out at the very end of those
1: three seconds at the end right yeah He's, he's really a lot of, of Adam Driver in this. He's he's great, but it's really those lingering moments at the end of scenes that you really, you can just empathize so deeply.
0: Yeah, he has an incredible ability for that on, on screen. So yeah, just an amazing actor. But it was in the last, I mean, I was kind of emotional all the way through that, that song. But the last, that last little, you know, he's got kind of tears in his eyes and he does this breathe out kind of like sigh. Yeah. Really good. And then think both of us have this one as the the ending of this oh my goodness um should we go ahead and
1: describe it i think it's i mean maybe call this the only big spoiler and and talk about it so um if uh you don't want this spoiled maybe skip ahead two minutes and we'll be done this movie ends with them finalizing their divorce right and uh adam driver comes back to LA. So one thing that maybe we didn't mention was the kind of coast to coast thing. Adam they the family was a unit in New York at the beginning of the movie. Scarlett Johansson moves to Los Angeles and that becomes a big contention point mm-hmm. of the divorce of where do we live? Where do we want to live? lawyers, whatever. But anyway, at the end of the day, Scarlett Johansson ends up living in Los Angeles with their son,
0: which it's also I think it'd be important to include that she had kind of she was a an actress who made it big and kind of like a teen type of movie yeah um and had you know dreams of becoming uh an la actor and, and instead spent the majority of their marriage being an actor for her husband who was directing these kind of like avant-garde plays in new york yeah so the whole new york la situation was set up from the, the beginning and we know that that's been a contention in their marriage as well.
1: For sure. And so at the end of this, they've signed their divorce. Adam Driver comes to visit in LA and uh, lets Scarlett Johansson know that uh, he's taking a residency at UCLA, so he's going to be around. She says, oh, great, this is all great. And then their son, Henry, who's been trying to learn to read throughout the whole movie, Mm -hmm. is sitting in the, the next room and Charlie, Adam Driver, hears his son reading and he hears him say his name. And then he walks in the room and... It turns out this somehow Henry's gotten his hands on the words that Nicole, Scarlett Johansson's character, wrote at the beginning of the movie, the yeah. What I Love About Charlie. And so he sits on the bed next to his son as his son kind of sounds out the words. And then about halfway through, Henry says, all right, now you read. And so we get to listen to Charlie read the words that Nicole wrote about him that we heard at the beginning of the movie.
0: But that he never got to hear. That
1: he never got to hear. After we get to, we watch them go through this horrible divorce. You know, like all of these really, really difficult moments. And and Mm -hmm. um, Adam Driver reads through it and is getting more and more emotional. And the I think the letter ends with, "I fell in love with him two seconds after I met him, and even though it doesn't make any sense anymore, I'll always love him." And he just kind of pauses and stares at. The letter and he's in tears and scarlett johansson's now standing in the doorway and she's in tears and very heavy beautiful and sad moment and then from there they go trick-or-treating yeah and i think scarlett johansson's new boyfriend is there so like that's that's where we're at we're, we're at this new normal with this family where it's okay that the ex-husband and the new boyfriend are there with grandma mm-hmm. and then they they're done trick-or-treating and This is the part that, that for whatever reason, cut me so deeply, was Scarlett Johansson says, Hey, Henry's tired. Do you want to take him? We're going to go have dinner. And she says, Oh, yeah. And so he picks up his son and Scarlett Johansson comes over and she hugs Henry. And so it's like he's holding Henry. She's hugging him. So they're like both on either side of him. And that's a a moving visual Mm -hmm. moment. And then uh, Adam Driver walks off and Scarlett Johansson looks back and sees his shoe is untied. And so she walks over, taps his shoe, so he lifts it up. She ties his shoe and they part. And I cried so much. Like the first time I watched it, because right from there, credits just kind of start to roll up on this big wide shot. Yeah. On top of this big wide shot where Adam Driver's just putting his son in the car. And, yeah. Um, I had to, like Tess was upstairs. I turned off the movie walked upstairs and just went and cried in her lap for like 20 minutes. Maybe not. That seems like an <laughs> exaggeration, but it was like a long time. Yeah. I, I don't know many movies that have like deeply affected me to where like I was inconsolable for wow. several minutes for a while. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just so trash. Like you like, because there's a world where they could have made it yeah you know but now we're at the new normal and it's just like and it's this is what divorce is It's especially when you have kids it's like you are no longer married to this person but you're still in each other's lives and this is the world that we live in now and it's not great but it's fine yeah and that is both comforting and so tragic yeah you know
0: and to know that she's gone to do like uh a- big things in her career was is cool to to see as well and um but yeah my my thing was mainly with that the when he's reading because it there's a funny part in there where he's like oh we got to skip over this part that he can't that's hilarious
1: (laughs) she said there was some alcohol in his childhood
0: (laughs) and then the way he transitions from just the look on his face and the way he kind of chokes up is i just and then you cut to her incredible yeah and uh, look on her face too, but well, once he once he started hitting that little kind of choke up that he he did kind of mid sentence, it was it was tough to keep him in. Oh god,
1: I was I lost <laughs> it for a long time, all the way through to the end, and long beyond the end of love the movie. Love that. So yeah, um, I love this movie. Like I said, I've I've seen it four times basically in the last month. I hope. Parasite wins Best Picture, but I am I am fine if this wins all the Oscars. I think that Scarlett Johansson, other than maybe her, which I love and I think is one of her most underrated performances, this is probably my favorite Scarlett Johansson performance ever. She was also really good in Jojo Rabbit this year, mm-hmm. which I think she's also
0: nominated for. Yeah, right? so she's nominated for Best Actress and Supporting Actress.
1: I'm really pulling for Adam Driver to win for this movie, and Me too. If, if this won Best Picture, I'd be totally satisfied although I really am pulling for parasite and is it up for screenplay and director uh, I think so yeah I think the script is great so yeah. um yeah lots
0: yeah. of lots of positives from from my end as well I've seen it twice now and loved it both times it is just and it's really re <laughs> although it deals with like really heavy content like we mentioned before it's it's really there's a lot of really funny aspects to it and so many great side characters that it's just really watchable. You should kind of want to get back into the into that world with some of these characters again. Very
1: good. For sure. Well, I hope it wins all the Oscars, but should we move on to a film that was- No! <laughs> and won't be winning any?
0: Yeah, let's do that.
1: All right, let's go on to Uncut Gems.
0: I made a crazy risk to gamble. And it's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. It's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary.
1: Uncut Gems is a film by the Safty brothers, Josh and Benny Safty. Stars Adam Sandler.
0: Here's the letterbox description. Howard Radner. A charismatic New York City jeweler, always on the lookout for the next big score, makes a series of high-stakes bets that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime. Can you explain to me what windfall means? I think it's a jackpot, but I don't know. Cool. It's pretty much just high-stakes all the time.
1: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. All right. So, first and foremost, how much do you hate Howard Ben Ben Stiller, (laughs) Adam Sandler's character in this movie?
0: Yeah, I... I don't hate him. Really? Yeah. I am frustrated with him <laughs> most of the time. And I really don't like him some of the time. <laughs> well, frustrated with him all of the time, I guess. And then really don't like him some of the time. And mainly just like, I think if there was no family stuff involved in this, I'd probably li- like him maybe a little more. Mm. But because he's just like just ruining his own life <laughs> and then right. not affecting other right. people. Maybe. Um But he is kind of this charismatic, magnetic character that you kind of want to at least see the outcome. Like you're totally invested in whether he wins or not. And even might be rooting for him at points.
1: Yes, uh, definitely. So at the beginning of this movie, we're actually in Africa. Yeah. And uh, we we watch these miners pull like this. uh, There's an injury in the in the mine shaft and kind of like on the side while that's happening. These, these like two guys pull this gemstone out of the the rock. Right. Mm -hmm. Black opal. I think the black opal, uh, becomes a major plot point for Adam Sandler, uh, who is a jeweler slash gambler slash Furby dealer (laughs) in New York. Um, Yeah, we meet we meet Howard early in this film, and uh, he is kind of just one of these shifty, sleazy hustler guys, right? Yeah, you're right. Hate is not the right word. He's just so goddamn annoying and just won't shut up.
0: But I think the whole movie. But that correct. But I think that part of him is what gets it's just like the salesman in him, right? Where he's always trying to convince someone that no. I'm going to actually win this time or, or nope, I'm going to, you know, or it's convincing them to buy his product or whatever. It's just right. like, he's always trying to convince someone else of something. And there's like a little bit of, it's kind of a marvel to watch a little bit of like how he successfully does this. And you could tell he's talented in that way, but also it's just exhausting. It's like, it is. This movie is super exhausting. Yeah. And I, yeah, of course it's, it's supposed to be, it's, you're supposed to have that. It's anxiety ridden for sure. It's, uh, claustrophobic in parts it's kind of high speed in parts but it, the stakes are so high and for a lot of this is i think is what it's like the gambling rush right right It it's supposed to portray yeah so adam sandler
1: is is this character that's really trying to uh yeah. he's trying to win big in whatever way he can right so yeah. he has invested in this black opal in order in order to uh to either sell it at auction or sell it out of his jewelry shop. Um, And early on in the film, Lakeith Stanfield's character brings Kevin Garnett, professional basketball player. This movie's set, I think, in 2008, 10? I don't remember that. Nine. (laughs) Uh, It's set in the late 2000s. Yeah. And uh, Kevin Garnett, who was playing for the Celtics at the time, comes in and has a metaphysical connection to this gemstone, this Mm -hmm. black opal. Adam Sandler agrees to loan it to him, and that starts him down this path of crazy hijinks because he's also supposed to sell it at auction, and later he can't get a hold of it or KG or anybody. And meanwhile, he owes a bunch of money to a bunch of other people, one of which turns out to be his brother-in-law I guess mm-hmm. and and so we watch Adam Sandler juggling all of these different people that want something from him or that he wants something from them right he's just hustling baby yeah and it is stressful
0: <laughs> absolutely and some of that is in the way that it's uh shot and then the, the soundtrack and the way that the there's you can kind of hear the action off screen quite a bit and everything feels loud yeah lots of talking so yeah you're just you give this sense and we both talked about our theater experience being just like everyone is tense and there's this like palpable you know anxiety that that everyone's feeling
1: yeah i mean Um, so the directors the safety brothers basically encouraged all extras to be talking during filming you know usually you want quiet on set so you can mic up the the two people that we're focusing in on and they Pump in room sound later. This was very different, I think, than almost every other movie is made because they like encouraged Kevin Garnett's posse, his like his boys, to just be talking and to contribute to the conversation and to be a little loud. And then when they're in public spaces or like there's this theater auditorium scene, they're they they want a lot of people talking, a lot of noise. It's kind of this almost sensory overload. Oh yeah, you know? it's, it's this cacophony the,
0: of. Noise. I'm already a pretty hypersensitive person to to noise like they were like at least in public when yeah. I, when someone's being too loud or whatever I'm oh no <laughs> <laughs> I just watch like, especially your if tense yeah up. if it's someone I'm with you know or like uh just trying to read the room and all that stuff but it, it, yeah it, it's a um, good representation of New York City as well because obviously it's a loud city and then of the kind of loudness of the his lifestyle as well of how his lifestyle so right it's, it's like it's a lot yeah and I
1: I think I heard in a podcast that they even pumped in a ton of ADR on top of the live sound that they recorded in, you know, when filming to increase the <laughs> the intensity of, of just this cacophony. Yeah. Which is just crazy. Like you said, the theater experience was I've never experienced a film like this. The, the tension, the collective tension of everybody in the theater, especially cause there's some, there's, it's, it's loud and it's, it's, uh, what's the word overwhelming a lot of the film, yeah. but then there's those quiet moments of utmost tension <laughs> specifically, finally, you know, so Howard, early in the film, gives the black opal to Kevin Garnett, who's had this metaphysical connection to it, thinks it's going to bring him good luck for basketball, spends the next half of the movie just trying to get the thing back so he can take it to auction. Mm -hmm. Eventually, finally does, and the auction scene where there's a bunch of, like, Adam Sandler's Howard is there, and then Kevin Garnett is there, and then the people that Adam Sandler owes money to or they like, there's all these players in the room and it suddenly gets quiet and the tension starts building as, Oh no, that like the bids aren't coming in as much as Howard wanted and, and you know, whatever. And we watch Howard make these decisions throughout the whole film, but especially in this scene that just backfire. Right. And so like, there's a moment in this auction scene where the tension is at the utmost. (laughs) It's just so palpable. Yeah. And it goes, you want it to go one way but may, but it goes a certain way and in my theater which was a pretty packed theater i mean like almost everybody literally went uh <laughs> you know like cuz you do, you do, you said the word frustrating earlier like yeah. you just get so frustrated with howard because it's like dude just get out of your own way yeah you uh, i'm i'm just thinking about it. it makes me makes me so frustrated
0: yeah and his whole thing is if i can just get to this thing then i can get at it like we'll be good right. but it's like a constant it's like it's a there's always some a next thing yeah it's 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 crazy my theater was not as full but it definitely had the same sort of feeling and and you get occasional movie like thrillers and and horror films where there's like a little bit of that but it's not um those are expected and it's more like uh i don't know like jump scare it, it I haven't been to a just like a dramatic film like this where it where people felt that kind of tense or whatever. Yeah. Another thing I I just thought was interesting about it is like they are constantly putting these kind of crazy situations with potentially catastrophic outcomes that he somehow kind of wiggles his way through, but then gets in himself into some you know another one just like it. Yeah. So you know that it even starts out. It starts out with this like colonoscopy where it, right and you don't know the results yet so it's like all these potential bad outcomes are there or they're waiting and um one little thing could go wrong or one little bet goes wrong and it ruins everything so i thought the way that the saturday brothers put those uh together i thought and and they were all believable things too so i thought that was was really well done another thing that i really liked was the i thought the soundtrack was incredible for this we're speaking of snubs but it's definitely one of the biggest snubs in my opinion for that i think the soundtrack should be nominated for an oscar for this uh it's done by the artist one tricks point never and uses a lot of these like synth sounds that it kind of sound mystical and exotic and especially relating to like what this kind of gemstone represents in the movie and kind of like the cosmic nature of some of these scenes of like our relationship to the earth and also just like obsessing over physical objects and how we've kind of obsessed over diamonds or rocks, really. And so it's like, I just felt that the soundtrack was was perfectly kind of executed. And some of the lighter, the brief lighter moments or moments where he actually thinks he's going to win or wins uh, on occasion, the music there is it feels that way too. It just, and it uses a ton of different sounds and all these kind of like kind of sci-fi synth sounds and stuff too. It's just great that coupled with like, they create a really strong sense of color in the film with a lot of blue light and the red, they kind of contrasts Definitely. And, and
1: some of the, there's like a club scene that really stood out to me in For terms sure. of like the, the cinematography was
0: really great. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite shots is him like coming in, like squeezing in through people and into the, the club. And then, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character, Damani wearing this like neon orange, uh, yeah. sweatshirt that just, was crazy and like this black blows. light of this, <laughs> yeah, and it glows on him too. So like when they're filming him talking to Damani, it's it's like blue all around. And this crazy like kind of black light, but then the orange is like up on his uh, Adam Sandler, Howie uh, up on his face, and just yeah, really cool like small things like that. I, I appreciated, and then Adam Sandler's performance I think is is fantastic as well.
1: He's so great in this, and it, like the the ta- it's it's a tribute to the writing. Adam Sandler himself and the directing, all three, I think, do a great job of because from the from the get go, I'm annoyed by Sandler's character, right? Right, and he, he's just like pushy. He's a salesman, right? Yeah. He's a pushy. He's a hustler. He he's running his mouth constantly. He just doesn't shut the fuck up, even when it would when it benefits him most right. to shut up. <laughs> <He> <laughs> right. Won't. Oh yeah. And but by the end of this movie, you can't help but like be captivated by his. Uh, his quest, right? Right. Like, like you're, you're rooting. I I ended up rooting for this guy that I really just couldn't stand in, in a lot of ways. I didn't, I didn't hate him in like a villainous way. Yeah. But it's just like, it's somebody you just don't want to be around. (laughs) Exactly. You know? Oh, for sure. And so like, you know, the, the movie builds to this, to this big moment where, I think it's not too spoilery to say he places a big bet. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and there's some other circumstances around like the characters that he's in a room with. And we, we watch him watch basketball. Yeah. (laughs) And and really that's, I mean, and and we watch uh, like his girlfriend played by Julia Fox, I think is her name. Mm -hmm. And the character's name is Julia. She like goes and covertly places this bet at like an Atlantic city casino or whatever. And, Mm It's on a uh, Kevin Garnett who's who's got this uncut gem, right mm-hmm. the the Black opal and uh, just the the again, the tension of that ending, the moment like the, that scene is is just so palpable and it's thrilling. I mean, this movie is a thrill a minute, you know yeah. it's it's very exciting and and really all the way up until the end.
0: If you've ever bet on sports, the thrilling nature of sports betting is exemplified in a way I've never seen it. God. On screen. And it's not just... It's like that times a 100, right? Because of all of the, the high stakes throughout the film. Not just this particular thing, but it's just... Yeah, it's, it's such a crazy depiction of that and of what being addicted to either like gambling or just like the chase or just like obsession. Yeah, being obsessed with, with an object. And um, yeah, I thought it was pretty expertly crafted. I, I really... And it's one of... I really, these two movies... Have probably stuck with me most out of all. I, I we'll talk about Parasite as well later in our where we've talked about it already, but coming up in our Oscar episode. But just like the feeling that I got from this movie, and then these like specific kind of visceral scenes, I just I can picture in my head, and yeah, um, and it's kind of stuck stuck with me the most. And then same with with like some of those some of my favorite scenes from Marriage Story too. But right. In, in a totally different way, but. <laughs>
1: yeah, I've just never seen a movie like this. I've, yeah. I've never experienced a theater experience like this. Like, it's just its own crazy thing. And and that alone should have gotten it a Best yeah, Director Oscar. Yeah, it's yeah. commendable. Like, it's, it's uh, mo- there have been so many movies in the history of movies, and so many of them are so similar. Like, it's it's, I'm not going to say it's easy to make a movie, but it's easy to make a movie that's very highly influenced by things or that mm-hmm. they fit a mold. There, There is nothing like this film that I know
0: of. It has like that raw kind of energy to it as well. Yeah. Um, and the filmmaking, like a lot of handheld stuff. And it's an experience for sure. Um, and I should
1: mention that I think Kevin Garnett – he did a great job fantastic in yeah this. i do too you know you, you just never know what to expect with athletes mm-hmm. but I, I thought he was so great i think he was maybe the best basketball players performance i've ever seen in a movie but just to, to- just to check <laughs> <laughs> i went ahead and put together my top five of course you did nba uh acting performances and so i'll run through those now if you're <laughs> if do. you're into it number five shaquille o'neal kazam Remember that movie? I do, yeah. Shaq plays a genie. I haven't seen that movie since I was a kid. Honestly, I would really love to watch it right now. So, I don't know why. So, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Number four, Kareem Bill Jabbar and Airplane. To be honest, I've never seen Airplane all the way through. I've seen this scene on YouTube and he's fine. But athletes acting is tough. Athletes doing comedy is even harder, right? Like, comedy is like maybe the hardest thing to do to, and do well. So, yeah. Cream Abdul-Jabbar, number four, Airplane. Number three, MJ, Michael Jordan, Space Jam. He's, uh, have you watched Space Jam recently? <laughs> He's not the most. But you know what? He carried a whole movie
0: yeah.
1: uh, next to Bugs Bunny. You know, like nobody was, it's him and Bill Murray and Bugs Bunny. Yeah. And so uh, just for that. MJ's not great in Space Jam, but he at least, you know... Space Jam's a good movie nonetheless. He did enough. He did enough. And his arms are so stretchy. Uh, Number two, did you see Trainwreck, Amy Schumer's movie? I did not, actually. I liked that movie, and LeBron James was actually pretty heavily featured in it. Because Bill Hader plays, like, I think his agent or something. (laughs) And LeBron did a really good job. I was really impressed. And he was pretty funny. So LeBron acting and doing comedy... Takes number two, but really number one, Kevin Garnett, Uncut Gems. He's great in this movie. And so I had to go big ups to KG, and that's my list. So are you glad I'm I did not that for you? you. I, <laughs>
0: I love that list. Yeah, I think I'd have KG at the top too. Yeah. He was really good. And Julia Fox was, was very good too. I mean, both of them are playing similar. Uh, themselves or a version of themselves. Uh, yeah, some, yeah, or something similar. Uh, they're both great, though, and I, I think we'll be seeing more of her for sure. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, and the
1: only other thing I was thinking about, like, because cause I do come away f- from this movie, like I do a lot of movies, with, with the question of, all right, but, like, what does that, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, why did I just watch that? And, and some of the things you mentioned about, like, materialism and, and <laughs> gambling addiction and things like right. that. But one thing I did think was really interesting about the way that this film is structured is it starts in Africa with the guys mining that black opal. And then what happens is the camera zooms in to this diamond or, well, it's a black opal, this gem, and then kind of pushes into, like, on a molecular level, you're, like, kind of zooming through this.
0: Yeah, it's kind of psychedelic or something, yeah.
1: Right, cosmic even.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And uh, that's the opening credits. It's like, you know. All, all, all the text comes up as you're zooming through this like kind of colorful cosmic mm-hmm. uh, thing. And then you come out of this, and you kind of don't understand what you're doing. And then we literally, I think, come out of a close-up on Adam Sandler's colon, right? Yeah, Because yeah, it's a colonoscopy. Yeah, it yeah, is. So we go into a gem and come out of a man's body. <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, not to spoil it, but the movie ends... By mi- mirroring the shot and going into somebody's body. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, that's a very specific choice that these filmmakers made. Relating this very visceral, boots on the ground, this this movie is concrete and steel, and it's very New York, right? It's very real. It's very visceral. Yeah. Yeah. But it ends begins and ends with this kind of cosmic, oh yeah, and the psychedelic thing. It
0: contributes to that as well for sure.
1: And so the only thing that I I thought of is is just like the idea that like because uh, because it ends the we you know we we at the very end we go into somebody's body and then we end on I think a like a an image of stars like like the night sky or something I think is how it ends like it's either after the credits or during the credits, and so my only thought was that. Part of the message of this is just like because all of these things are kind of the same in that like, you know, the uh, precious gems are made of carbon. We are made of of like carbon, right? It, all living, living things are, are carbon based. And then, um, you know, this, the stars are like, you know, oh, to go back to episode one <laughs> of Happy Tears talking about before sunrise, millions of years ago, there were just the stars and then became us. We are from the stars. Everything is stardust, and I think that applies here. I think you that tell them, Nick. I'm gonna tell them. I think that literally all you know, like kind of, all of these things are the same. These these precious gems, you know, the skies and oblivion, and us meatbags walking around New York and. Part of this is is just kind of a, a fable, if you will, on all we are is space dust and you get a limited time to be whatever this version of this is. So what are you going to do with it? It's, it was, was the takeaway I had. How does that strike
0: you? I, yeah, I mean, I could see that. You've convinced me. Yeah, I think what I said earlier kind of fits into that mold as well. Just uh, with like our fasc- fascination and obsession with um,
1: the material.
0: Yeah, but that material also being like what we're <laughs> What we're connected to sure. through in in a certain way, so and, and
1: yeah, it's like I think that there's probably something to be said for the some of the things that I mean, people live and die for. You know, blood diamonds are a thing, right? right you know, right. but it's like it's no di- like human. It's it's no different than human life. There's definitely got to be some commentary there about the things that maybe we think are important or also like human beings are should be the
0: same. I don't know. One thing I, I guess I'll say is just kind of wrapping up. Like I was pretty like transfix this whole movie i felt glued to the screen um absolutely invested in the characters and the stakes of this movie and went away having you know felt something deeply or many things deep. like it was a that's one of the reasons i like going to the movies is just like this movie make me feel something whether it's yeah you know whether it's sad or and not in like a gimmicky or easy way like in a way where they a lot of thought went into crafting it and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it was definitely came together as a, a piece of art that I was just like, yeah, it was a wild
1: ride for sure. And, and I, th- I think you and I have both said like, I've seen Married story four times. Like I mentioned, I yeah. saw this once over a month ago, but I feel like this, so much of it was burned into my brain. It was just such an experience that I'm not going to forget it for like, I, I'm going to see it again soon, but yeah. it's literally like going on a roller coaster. Like I, like I'll never forget the first time I went on the, titan at, at six flags over texas you know
0: like yeah funny enough i think i think of it's like a perfect representation of the like i know people always say like oh that was a, a roller coaster of events or anything but that's what it's like people the thrill of a roller coaster even if you're uncomfortable the whole time it's still like there's a thrill about it that people are addicted to. Right, there's
1: nothing like it. Right, like right. it's it's such a a unique experience.
0: Yeah, and, and you can go on the Texas Giant and your neck can hurt for a week after. Yeah, but it was fun <laughs> and worth the ride.
1: And I think more than any other movie I've ever seen, this movie was a roller coaster. Yeah, which makes it all the more tragic that it was. Ah! <laughs> I really do think that uh, <laughs> Sandler deserved a nomination. I think the Safdie brothers deserved a nomination and I'll, I'll agree with you on the soundtrack. Although that didn't stick with me as well as other elements. So yeah,
0: so yeah. I don't even remember what did this get zero. I'm
1: pretty sure. Hold on.
0: Yeah. Cause I think a 24 only got one nomination. None. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. For, I mean, uh, yeah. And, but also to think like, what are the, the Academy, what's the Academy looking for? And I don't know if it's just a kind of film. It almost seems too raw and maybe too contemporary. Like, I get that, but I still think Adam Sandler uh, could have snuck in there for sure. And and definitely score and then a directing thing.
1: Yeah, totally. I don't have anything else to say. Did you have any happy tears?
0: No happy tears in this one.
1: Me neither, but it is... uh, I almost cried because of how stressed I was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There is one moment that's kind of sweet and kind of pathetic and kind of funny all at the same time. With his wife? No, uh, oh. with with, uh, with Julia, when he's just kind of at the, the lowest of lows, and she gets a tattoo.
1: Oh, my God, that's so funny.
0: <laughs> and he's just some, like, sad, pathetic, crying guy. Oh, I do remember and that you like, damn, this, I mean. Oh, but I was uh, just like, good. <laughs> you deserve it, idiot. Yeah, I, I didn't have any there. I just, it, as far as emotional moments, like, in terms of, sadness being attached to something right it might be there but it was you know a little bit of like oh this this is pathetic but also hilarious that <laughs> she delivers that uh or he's like oh you, you can't be buried with me like, <laughs> <laughs> because she has the tattoo it's so damn
1: funny good amount of humor in this too yeah it is in a few theaters still Hopefully by the time this gets out there, it's still maybe in a few theaters. I know that there's one or two showings at Alamo Draft House that yeah. I almost went to to yesterday. Oh, uh, one thing we didn't mention was that. Oh yeah, Kobe, R. I. P. Kobe Bryant was almost uh, in the Kevin Garnett role. So there were a number of basketball players that uh, I, this movie was in development for like almost 10 years. A long time, yeah. And uh, at the beginning, I think the Safdie brothers being from New York and being Knicks fans, Amari Stoudemire, I think, was their first choice. Um, But they had, you know, things didn't work out with Amare. And then uh, they were talking to Kobe's people for a while until it was decided that Kobe didn't want to act anymore. He wanted to direct, which you saw. I don't know if he I, I don't think he directed that short that you saw but he was definitely involved he was a producer on it for sure Yeah, he,
0: narr- yeah, he narrated um, that and it was uh, about him it wasn't directed by him though But Before- yeah there was like 160 rewrites of this script and they they rewrote like reason why they were taking so long is because they were like they had to rewrite all these situations for each uh different basketball player they were right. considering
1: <laughs> at one point it was joel Embiid. yeah uh amari Kobe and then and and uh, KG I yeah. think were the names that I saw
0: yeah and it's like what is this character like like how to what is people's relationship to this character and how can they be how can that be true to them in this so they had right all of these rewrites and um and the and uh, they considered actual games to exactly right (laughs) that's
1: what i was gonna say is is the great thing about kg is he looks very similar to how he did you know 10 years ago um but like amari stoudemire had really short hair and now he's got dreads and so and amari wouldn't cut his dreads so they couldn't use him and uh so they had to you know match it up with legitimate games that were played in 2008 or 10 or, you know, whatever year it was. And, uh, yeah, the, the, just the logistics of it is kind of mind blowing.
0: Yeah. I don't remember which Safdie brother was, but they're talking about how, uh, Kevin, first thing they said to him was that they, they hated him or something like <laughs> Cause that. They Cause they, they were Boston.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and he's like, this is a perfect character for this. Cause as a, someone I've hated my whole, like, you know, sports watching life. <laughs> Um, because he was so dominant and theatrical which ended up being a perfect, you know, person to play the role. Right. And um, and obviously they, you know, were impressed with him, him as an actor and everyone seemed like they had a, a good time on, on set and stuff. For sure. I guess last thing, I remember one particular scene that stood out um, in terms of just like how claustrophobic it was and it was that the car scene. So they, so Howie leaves this play that he, uh, his oh, daughter's yeah. play and um, like school play and, and is out in the parking lot and gets kind of like snagged up by these goons that he owes money to and they're talking to him in the, the car and kind of throwing him around a little bit and the camera work inside the vehicle and yeah. like the lighting on his face it's like everything was just so, made it just so intense and claustrophobic feeling and, and when he finally gets out of the car it's like you can finally breathe too and so and then he gets put into a trunk so it's claustrophobic right. again. <laughs> Yeah. but all the while, you're like, "What? Are you, like, why did you do? You could have just sat and watched this play. Like, you're just right. so frustrated with every movie he makes. <laughs> he, yeah, it's, just,
1: it's the compulsivity of it. Like, he's just so compulsive and just makes these terrible decisions. Yeah, and, and we're, you're just along for the ride, baby.
0: But I want to. I want to go on the ride again. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> I want to see it again. So uh, go see it, even though it's
0: no! slow. <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find more information as well as today's episode show notes at happytearspod.com. You can follow us on all the social media platforms on Instagram, we're at Happy Tears Podcast. On Twitter, we're at Happy Tears Pod and there's a Happy Tears Facebook page on Facebook. Uh, ratings and reviews do enormous wonders for us to grow as a podcast so if you could go on apple Podcasts and give us that big five star review we would be thrilled thrilled so thrilled static even yeah static electricity
0: so we have a spotify playlist yeah we do called happy tears mixtape We would love for you to follow that. We throw songs that we cover on this podcast onto that playlist for your enjoyment and for everyone's enjoyment, even ours. I enjoy it. Give it a listen. Do it. Original theme music by Homage. You can follow him at youtube.com slash Homage Beats or follow him at Homage Beats on Instagram. Next week on the pod, we have a little music double feature uh, with one of my favorite albums, D'Angelo's Voodoo, which turned 20 years old this year, and I've never once listened to it, so I'm excited to do it. And we're also covering Andy Schauf's new record, Neon Skyline. Until then,
1: farewell.